Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Well, Dr. Scripture, we're continuing our study of the global flood account of Genesis. And you said this could be the last program in that series. Well, yes, Scott, it might be. <laughs> last time we read Genesis 8.16, where God tells Noah and his family to go out of the ark. It had been 370 days since the flood began. And we can only imagine how anxious they must have been to get off that ship. And we might assume that stable footing may have felt strange after being afloat that long, but <laughs> actually, the ark had been resting on solid ground for several months. Well, that's a good point, Scott. Back in verse 4 of chapter 8, it said, And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Well, that was 210 days after the flood started. So the period from 210 days when the ark stopped floating to 370 days when they disembarked was 160 days. And the detail that interests me, Scott, is the time from when Noah took the roof off the ark and saw, as verse 13 says, the water was dried up from the earth to when they actually left the ark was from the first day of the first month to the 27th day of the second month. Let's see, using a 30-day month, that's 30 plus 27, 57 days. <laughs> 57 more days they waited until God told them to leave the ark. What a great example of waiting on the Lord. I mean, Noah had sent out the raven and dove to ascertain the condition of the land, and then he could see that it appeared to be dry, but he didn't act on his own. He waited for the Lord to tell him it was time to go out. That's such an important lesson for those serving the Lord to remember. We feel like we've prepared and we've worked. We've followed the Lord's leading and his word as we serve him. And we want so much to get started or see fruit from our labors. And we get ahead of the Lord's timing. We can prematurely take action. And it causes problems for ourselves or others. And the very thing we wanted to see accomplished is hindered because of our own presumptuous choices. Yeah, I think in some situations, the hardest thing we face in serving the Lord is waiting. Well, we don't know what all Noah and his family were dealing with as they sat there and waited. Hmm. And remember, all those cooped up animals were waiting too. That's right. But Noah waited until the Lord gave the okay that it was time to leave. So, Scott, let's read, starting at verse 14, the next six verses of chapter 8. Okay, Genesis 8, 14. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. <laughs> wow, what a scene that would have been. Just think of the animals, like 
horses or dogs that haven't been able to run free for over a year, (laughs) would they have taken off like a shot experiencing their newfound freedom or what? I think so. And I think of all the birds that could finally fly free, Mm -hmm. that would have been a joyful sight. (laughs) And did you notice anything different about the description of the animals when they got off the ark compared to when they got on, Scott? You mean that they went out by their families? I don't think it said that they went into the ark by families, did it? No, it didn't. The account in chapter 7 didn't use the term families. It used the term twos, Mm. which I have mentioned before may indicate not just one pair of animals, but two pairs of each kind were on the ark, not including the clean animals, which there were seven pairs of each kind. Notice what it says in Genesis 7-9, quote, There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah, unquote. But what is translated twos in the New American Standard Bible is the translation of literally the Hebrew word shanaim, which means two. And it's repeated. In other words, the Hebrew says shanaim, shanaim which is why some Hebrew scholars think it means two twos, that is, two breeding pairs of each kind, one on the ark. But the comparison I'm making here is in Genesis 8.19. Now the pairs are leaving as families. So it seems that all those pairs <laughs> were not just eating and sleeping on the ark. Apparently, they were reproducing too. They were getting a head start on what God told them to do in verse 17. Breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. (laughs) It would seem so. Hmm. However, not all the animals that survived on the ark started multiplying. Let's read the last three verses of chapter 8, starting with verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So we learn that at least one of every clean animal and bird was given as a sacrifice by Noah. And that is at least one of the reasons God had told Noah to take more of the clean animals on the ark. Some were going to be killed after the flood, so more pairs were needed to repopulate the earth. And as we'll see in chapter 9, the Lord was also going to set aside the restriction on eating meat. So if man was going to be using the clean animals as a source of food, that was another reason why there needed to be more clean animals and birds on the ark they would be able to multiply in greater numbers and supply what would be a growing human population with food. You know, Dr. Scripture, I can't help but feel some sense of sadness for the animals that were sacrificed. I mean, they made it through the flood, and all the other creatures were going off to multiply and fill the earth, but these were held back and had to die. You know, I feel a touch of that myself, Scott. But as I've thought about it over the years— What is the fate of every single animal that's ever existed? Well, ultimately, it will die. (laughs) Yes, just as it is for every human being. 
And yet, some people choose to sacrifice their own lives for something or someone they believe is worthwhile. Well, as a believer, what could be more worthwhile than sacrificing one's life for the Lord? Now, I know that to the unbeliever, that is absolutely absurd. In the first place, they think, you're giving up everything for nothing. And perhaps in the second place, they think, what kind of a person is a God that would want someone to die for him? But that reasoning has no understanding of the power of God, our Creator, or faith in the love of God, our Savior. But the best-known verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God is concerned with our eternal destiny, and so should you be. The God who has the power to create the heavens and the earth and all they contain promised eternal life to all who trust in Him. There's no comparison between what we can experience for a few fleeting years on this corrupt earth and what we will experience in eternal glory in the presence of our loving Creator God. A missionary named Jim Elliott, who gave his life in the attempt to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to Indians in Ecuador, once said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But to live that way takes faith. Faith in God and in His Word. Listener, the main reason I present these Scripture on Creation programs on evidences for creation and recently of the global flood is to encourage you to believe what Scripture says. And far more importantly than believing what it says about creation, believe what it says about your need for the forgiveness of your sins which separate you from God. You must trust what God says. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we try and do here on the Scripture on Creation program is demonstrate the trustworthiness of Scripture. And Scripture says Jesus sacrificed his life to save you and me. If for whatever reason he asks me to sacrifice this temporal life of mine for him, out of gratitude to him, how could I do anything less? And with Paul, understand that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What better purpose could I have in life than to use it up in the service of my Creator and Savior? What better purpose then could any of those animals that Noah sacrificed have had than to honor their Creator with their lives as an offering? But, Dr. Scripture, like you said, that mindset is simply absurd to someone who is not born again. 1 Corinthians 1.18 describes it this way, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We just hope and pray some people out there will be moved by the Spirit of God to give the Bible a chance to speak to them with an open mind. That's what it will take for them to make a change. That change you're talking about, Scott, is to truly become a new creature. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Let's read it, Scott. The passage talks about what we also try and do on this program. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you don't have the security of your sins being forgiven through the sacrifice Jesus made for you on the cross, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Do you hear that? It says Christ is the one begging you. Be reconciled to God. Trust him. He has paid for your sins. Turn from them and turn to God. Don't continue on the path that the Lord said we are on as sinful beings in Genesis 8:21. Remember he said the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. But even knowing that about man, the creator chooses to be gracious. He looked into the future and saw the sacrifice his son would make and contemplating that sacrifice that he himself would make someday. Genesis chapter 8 concludes, And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall never cease. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.